welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Awesome. Awesome. So good to have you here this morning. Just look at all the beautiful people that just somehow miraculously ended up in this room, all the good-looking people in Melbourne. I'm not sure you believe me, but anyway, it's cold and winter, but we'll just go with the dad jokes. It's all good. Well, God's moving. I believe something powerful is happening, and um, we're just really glad to have you here today. I'm not here to really do much. Um, We'll do all of our announcements and um, all of those sorts of things at the end. Um, Just a few little quick things from me. If you're a man, um, register for... Men's conf- our men's weekend um, up at Elkana. It's going to be really, really great. Um, if you need a lift up there, there's carpooling happening. If you have any financial concerns or um, can't quite get there financially, just let us know. Um, there's been some really generous people uh, pay for extra uh, registrations for it, and it is going to be a really great time. So it's Friday, August the 26th through to Sunday the 28th. And um, it's just going to be awesome. It's going to be a whole lot of stuff happening down there. So I want to really encourage you to uh, come down, experience beautiful Marysville, experience Elkanah, but also just come hang out with us. It's going to be an awesome time. Um, If you're new to our um, church community, we want to welcome you. Maybe you're visiting here today. Um, We just want to welcome you. We've just got a heart that just wants to glorify Jesus, really. We don't want to name of a man or a woman. We don't want the name of a church being lifted up. We want the name of Jesus being glorified. We believe that when we lift Him high, that's when heaven comes low, amen. When we lift up the name of Jesus, something powerful begins to happen. And I sense His presence right here, right now. And I just believe that God is gonna meet you with whatever you've got going on right now. Um, I believe that God's gonna meet you where you're at. You know, it's not about, it's not about height. It's about heart. Did you hear that? It's not about hype. It's about heart. It's about an open heart. I've seen, I've been in lots of services where there's been lots of noise, lots of shundera bubbler booby. Whoops, sorry. (laughs) Said booby over the mic. I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) We're not recording yet, are we? This will not make the podcast. Anyway, um, this happens sometimes. Sorry about that. Um, genuinely sorry did not mean to say that Um, but that's what happens when you anyway um, (laughs) oh I haven't done anyway let's keep moving I'm not creating a good platform for Isaac to come up and bring the word I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of noise I've made a lot of noise and I've worked out through all these years God doesn't respond to the noise unless there's a heart attached to the noise God doesn't respond to the song unless the song comes from a heart. God doesn't respond to the gift financially, your time, whatever, unless there's a heart that wants to serve Him attached to it. 
And we should be less bogged down with what this looks like and more concerned with what this looks like. So it's my prayer today as, as Isaac comes and brings the Word and we gather around what Jesus wants to say through His Spirit to, to this church community. It's my prayer today that you would have that, you'd have an open heart. That's all that matters. That's really all that matters. Can we stand up? I'm going to invite Isaac. I want to pray for him before we get into the Word. Isaac and Becca are our, our young adults, pastors, leaders, admirals. We give them a new name every week, but they're, they're a wonderful part of our church community. They open up their home most weeks and Wednesday nights. They have a whole bunch of young adults there just worshipping. And um, if I wasn't so old and grey on the sides these days, I'd try to sneak in. Um, but they do a wonderful job and they've got a heart for, they've got a heart for the Spirit and they've really got a heart um, to see Jesus glorified and to see a move of the Holy Spirit in your life, in their life, in our lives. And so come on, can we, can we pray? Father, we thank You for the gift that Beck and Isaac are. Lord, today as Isaac brings the Word, I thank You, Father, for Your anointing. I thank You that he is a man after Your heart. There's an inquisitiveness inside of him that wants to dig and ask questions and search for You. And Father, I thank You today for the anointing, the calling, the enabling power of Your Spirit that is upon him. And we declare in the mighty name of Jesus an open heaven over this place. We come into agreement and alignment with the finished work of Jesus. We thank You, Lord, that there are no obstructions. There is no, nothing in the way. There is no limitation, Father. There is nothing that can stop what You want to do this morning. And so we open up our hearts because we want to participate in that too. We want to make sure our hearts are not the thing in the way. And so we bring our hearts before You. We ask for You to speak to our hearts. Change our lives today and let Your presence be made manifest in Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. Go for it, bro. Grab a seat. It's all right. Gives me time to set up this desktop, whatever. No, it was either a computer or um, following it in, in Ehab's footsteps and bringing a 15-page um, bound folder. But um, awesome, it's so good to see you all and uh, see lots of new faces actually, some old faces. But um, yeah, like Matt said, we're just, Beck and I are so happy to be able to facilitate the young adults. And um, well, you're all young adults today, all right? This is, let's just be, this is the, the living room of our house, which is a minute down the road. Vanessa feels 20 again. Um, yeah, we're all under 35 here now. So, um, yeah, look, this is just a larger, more echoey uh, living room, but get comfy. We're going to go through the Word. We're going to, um, I just want to share basically a sermon that God has kind of um, been speaking to me and bringing up again in me. I believe it's something that we all learn, we all have to relearn at times, and um, this is just something that I know He dealt with me years ago, but also in the last few months, I felt I'm bringing it back up again. And that's kind of just the, the beauty of this life that we walk with Jesus is we're being perfected. We're not, we don't reach perfection here, but in heaven we'll be perfect. But he, He's walking on this journey with us where He's perfecting us. He's pruning those branches and that, that overgrowth that starts to build up. And so that's what He was doing in me. And that's where the sermon comes from. And I just pray that... Um, 
as you hear it, that God would be speaking to you and that Holy Spirit would just bring um, just conviction if it's conviction needed, love and encouragement if that's what's needed. But um, if I had to give a title to the sermon, it would be The Beauty of Submission, okay? The Beauty of Submission. And (laughs) that says, uh uh-oh. What I hope from this message, you can leave with an understanding of how submission is an act of worship to God, how submission to the Father captures his heart so greatly and so beautifully, and we'll see that in Scripture, and just how submission is, in fact, an act of spiritual warfare that takes place because it quite literally pulls down spiritual idols when we submit and come in this humble state. So we're going to explore that through the Word. Um, I want you to come with me as we look through Scripture. I hope you've got your Bibles. Um, If not, it's on the screen. Um, but we're going we're gonna to start in the New Testament, we're going to look at Jesus, and then we're going to go back into the Old Testament, see how it all ties in and what God, God's heart is for, for His people today, okay? So we're going to start in the Gospel of Mark. Um, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 14. Okay, so this passage we're about to read essentially... Hello, we're on. Oh, that's loud. So, where were we? We're in chapter 14 of Mark, okay? And this passage that we read is, it appears three times in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, And each of them express the same themes, but using different language. And when you take them all and put it all together, it creates this really kind of graphic picture of what was taking place. So we're going to read in Mark, but I'm going to just compare each of those verses to what we see in Luke and in Matthew, okay? And I want you to see the picture that's being painted here through these themes that we're going to go through, because it's going to set the context for where we're going to go this morning. So Mark chapter 14, verse 32, it says, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Okay, so this story essentially sets up for us the last hours of Jesus' life. And after 33 years of living on earth as a man, after three years of full-time ministry, he reaches this point, this moment in his life where he is about to take the plunge into death. And I believe this is one of the most, if not the most, critical point of his entire life up until now. It's what it's all come down to, these last hours, the last supper which Ehab just shared on just took place. Now it's about the midnight hour, and he's going through this almost penultimate moment before death. And this is the junction between where he goes through with the assignment that he was on earth for, or whether he backs out of it, okay? And there was definitely a choice that he faced here. And this is just before his arrest, his trial, and his suffering. So it's really fitting that we did communion today because this is kind of what it all leads up to. And like I said, I believe there's three kind of themes that we see of Jesus here as we look at this passage. And we're going to go through them and break them down. Um, 
because when I went through these passages, I took a, a highlighter of different color and um, in each of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there were probably three recurring themes. And so the first one we see in Gethsemane in this story, we see Jesus's state of being. What kind of state was he in? And it might sound obvious with some of the words used, but just listen to the language. Mark says he was deeply distressed and troubled. He was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Matthew says he was grieved and distressed. And again, very sorrowful to the point of death. And Luke says being in agony, being in anguish to the point of his sweat being like drops of blood. So this is painting a picture for what kind of state Jesus was in at this moment. His flesh was really rising up right now. He was in this state where his flesh was screaming at him. It was heightened. Okay, and he even says, my soul is deeply distressed. What is his soul? It's his flesh and his feelings. So that fully man side of Jesus right now is going through it. He is at the point where there is so much yelling at him, taking over his emotions and his, his physical state is literally manifesting this anxiety within him of what's to take place. And so this is significant because it leads on to the second part, the second theme that we see in the story of Gethsemane. So we know his state of being, his flesh heightened right now. But what we see also is his awareness of and, and his battle that is taking place with his flesh. So not only is he actually physically ang ang anxious, but he's aware that there is a battle taking place right now between his spirit and his flesh. Because look what it says in Mark. It says, stay here and watch with me. He tells the disciples, watch with me. Take part in this with me. Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And Matthew, it says, could you not keep watch with me? Pray that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I believe that the reason why Jesus is coming to his disciples, he's praying and then he returns and he finds them sleeping. I think that the reason he comes to his disciples and says, stay awake and pray that you don't fall into temptation is because Jesus is actually going through the exact thing he's telling his disciples, right? He's telling them, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. For what's about to come, you need to pray that you don't fall into temptation and give in to your flesh. And I believe that's because Jesus, what's he doing? He's going away and he's praying, praying for what? Praying for strength, yes, but also probably praying, God, my, my flesh is rising up in, within me right now. It wants to take over and I need your strength to resist the temptation to give in to it. And I don't think it's any coincidence that at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, he got tempted in the wilderness. And now fast forward to this final moment before death, he's also facing this temptation of the flesh. Okay, remember in the wilderness, he was led by the spirit and he was tempted by Satan where it says, what was the first thing? Satan tempted his view of the father. He said to him, you're the son of God. Would, would your father really ask you to go hungry like this for 40 days? Would he really lead you, the son, Jesus Christ, to suffer hunger like he is? And he makes him question his view of the father and says, turn these stones into bread. You don't deserve to be hungry like this. You're not just a mortal man. And he makes him think, what is, what is my father's heart for me right now in this moment? And then the second temptation, he shows him all the kingdoms in a moment of time and all the nations and all the souls of those nations. And he says, all of this I will give you. And what's he doing? He's tempting him with a shortcut to the glory to come. He's saying, you can bypass the cross and the pain to come. You can bypass all the sorrow and hurt that you're going to be, that's going to be placed on you. I will give it to you right now. Funny thing is, Satan doesn't care about us as much as we think. 
He cares about the worship that we give to God, but he doesn't care about us. And he was willing to hand it over in that moment. And he said, I will give you a shortcut if you just bow down to me. And then the last one, he puts them on the highest place of the temple, which is in the middle of the bustling city. So all the people would have been down below and they would have been able to see this, you know, this central place of the city. And he takes them to the highest point and he says, he tempts them with his right to be acknowledged as the son of God. Because for 30 years, he's lived as a man and no one, maybe except his parents, know that he's actually God. And he says, if you throw yourself down, well, the angels will lift you up and they won't let you be harmed and everyone will be able to see that you are a God and they'll say, wow, he's divine. And so he tempts him with <clears throat> this, this um, right to be acknowledged as God. And so that happened at the very beginning of its ministry and I don't know if he would have felt as much temptation compared to then as what he did in this last moment in Gethsemane, right? He's probably thinking, man, that... that offer looks pretty good right now. Like I'm being faced with this pain to come. He's in so much anguish, remember. And he's probably wrestling with his view of the father going, would my father really ask me to go through with this? Would he really place all this pain on me? And so we see his battle that's taking place between his flesh and his spirit in Gethsemane. But then this leads on to that, the third thing that we see in the garden. And that is his submission and his yielding to the father. So picture that in his agony and his distress, in his heart and flesh when it's screaming out to him, when it's telling him everything he would rather do, he literally says to God, his father, all things are possible to you. He calls on him as daddy, Abba Father. He says, daddy, all things are possible for you. I know that you can take this cup away from me. I know that there's another way of, if, if you think there's a, another alternative, you can take it away. And he calls on him to take it away. But then he utters those words, yet not my will, but yours be done. And can you imagine the strength that it took to utter those words? When he was sweating drops of blood, that's how much his flesh was manifesting. He took so much strength in him that an angel had to come and minister to the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son, who is God himself, needed to be strengthened by a lesser creation, an angel. There's only one other time he got ministered to by an angel, and that was in the wilderness at temptation. And now we see that again. We don't know what took place between that angel and Jesus. Maybe that angel just held out a hand and said, you're so close. This is it. Maybe he said, the Father loves you. And maybe that was the strength that he needed to kill his flesh in that moment. But keeping all of this in mind, the story of Gethsemane, I want you to keep it fresh in your mind, this picture that we've created. And I want to take you to Hebrews chapter 5. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So again, you might think that Jesus, being the son, has an automatic right to be heard. He is, has all authority. He has all right given to him. He is God himself. But that's not the reason why it says he was heard. What does it say? With fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from, dad, from death, Abba, Father, take this cup from me. He was heard not because of his right as the son of God, but because of his reverent submission 
Some Bibles might say because of his reverence. What is reverence? Reverence is the fear of God. And I believe one of the biggest components to a fear of God, having a fear of God, is this model of submission. Because what are you doing when you submit? You are lifting up God to his rightful place. You are saying you are so holy and so sovereign. You are so righteous that my only response is a posture of submission. And you lower yourself so that the Father can be glorified. And that, I believe, is why Jesus was heard in this moment. Because he killed that flesh that was rising up inside of him. That flesh that was screaming at him to go the other way. He killed that and he submitted to the will of the Father and said, even though I don't comprehend it, even though I don't understand the why, I still trust that you are good. I still trust that you love me. And whatever your will is, I'm going to submit to that. And in that we see the Father heard his prayers and his cries. And in this moment, Jesus would have had an awful sense of the wrath of God, the the weight of sin that was to be placed on him. And his flesh was ready to give up under that load. But in his submission, God did not forsake him. He was supported through the agonies of death. And I want you to think of this in what you might need to submit and lay down, that in your submission, you are not left unsupported. You are not left to do it alone, but you are supported through to the cross just as Jesus was, because we see the language change. We see that from the moment that Jesus submitted and said those words, yet not my will, but yours be done, suddenly something changes on a dime almost, where he comes back to the disciples and he says, the hour is at hand. And then the guards immediately come and they arrest him. And while Peter's taking out his sword, Jesus is saying, put your sword away. Can I not call upon my father? And he will send 12 legions of angels. But in, he's, this, he's this resolute, determined man now to go to the cross. But it only happened once he had killed the flesh in submission. What do we see when he's standing before Pilate? He's silent. He doesn't offer up any defense. What do we see when he, he's being mocked and punched and his beard is being pulled out of his face? He is silent in submission. When he's facing the agony of 39 lashes, he is still silent. Isaiah says he was the lamb led to the slaughter and he did not open his mouth. Why? Because he had found in himself the spirit of submission that, and in that submission, God strengthened him and we see that Jesus is now this determined man to see through the cross. But it only happened once he had gone through the agonies of yielding himself. And why am I emphasizing this? I want you to see that Jesus' flesh had to learn obedience in weakness because the flesh is weak. Okay, the mystery of the incarnation is that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And the God side of him was perfect. It didn't need to learn to be perfect. But the, the flesh side of man, the part that we see so painfully expressed in the garden, this was fully man and he had to suffer the denial of his own desires to learn the pattern of obedience and submission. And it was in this that when Jesus taught his flesh obedience to learn to submit and kill his flesh, that is when God was glorified. In essence, he said, I'm going to put myself in your skin I'm going to taste for myself what sinful urges are like. What are sinful urges? It's anything opposed to the Father. And in this moment, Jesus is feeling all these urges that are directly opposed to the will of the Father. 
Remember what he said to the disciples. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he learned the denial of his flesh in that moment. He learned obedience. And in obedience, he learned reverent submission to the Father. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. He went low in submission by becoming obedient to the point of death. So Jesus had to learn obedience. He had to learn submission. And this is why the word says that he is a man familiar with our sufferings that he has gone through the temptations that we experience because he tasted for himself what sinful urges are. And he didn't sin in that, but he learnt to submit and yield the flesh to the spirit. And this was the prayer that was heard by God. This was the, the prayer that got God's attention in that moment. There was something about his submission that was heard by God. There was something about that moment of submission that acted as the catalyst to his future glory and the resurrection. On the other side of his submission was the resurrection, the glory to come. And in Jesus' yielding and submission, the Father was able to receive all glory unto himself. And in this, he gave the glory back to Jesus. Because you see, the Father will never suffer his glory to, to go to someone or something lesser than himself. He will never let it go somewhere else before he gets it. And that's not because he's an egotistical, whining, attention-seeking child. He's, it's because his entire be, being, everything of who he is, demands the glory. It's like it, it, there's no other way that it could be. If you think of like a 100-meter sprint where there's eight people in a race, we will never let the person who comes eighth stand on the same podium as the person who comes first and share in their glory. It doesn't work that way. It would be a dishonor to the, person who, to the person who came first to share in the glory of the person who came last. It's because glory always, every single time, goes to the highest place. It will always go to God because it can't go elsewhere unless we have created an idol and we attribute glory to that idol. But in that case, if there is an idol that is made, either we pull it down ourselves or God will pull it down because that glory has to go to him. It can't go anywhere else. But when God gets the glory, he gives us the glory back. Jesus, the son of God, in giving up his own glory to God, God received all the glory and so was able to raise Jesus up and give him the glory. And what are we? We have been made co-heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 17 says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Whatever Christ gets, we get as well. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we share in his death first. We share in the crucifixion. We share in the sufferings. We share in the submission. Why? Because in our submission, in our yielding, in the killing of our flesh, we give glory to God and then he gives us the resurrection glory. Watch this. Every time you submit yourself to his will, 
You are tearing down the idol of self. You are tearing down the idol of pride. You are tearing down you being your own God and you are magnifying the Father. You are elevating Him above all. You are giving Him all the glory He so rightly deserves and demands. And this is holy and reverent worship to Him. If you look at Jesus' submission, what was the thing that God gave back? It was resurrection. And in that resurrection, God gave victory over sin. There was a defeat of the enemy in his submission. There were chains of fleshly urges that were broken in his submission. There are idols torn down. There is territory taken back. There is spiritual warfare that is happening when you submit and yield to the, to the Father. Why? Because the idol of self is torn down. God is put in his rightful place. And when he gets the glory, you get the glory. And this might be, you might be thinking, well, this is Jesus, so great. Like, he went to the cross and he died. I, I'm not asking you to lay down your physical life, though it may come to that. But <laughs> that's not, not today. <laughs> but maybe you're thinking, well, how is this applicable to me? I'm just, a, I'm just another man. I'm just another woman. I'm in church on a Sunday. I just want to drink my coffee. We all do. But how is this applicable in your own life. And so we're going to look at another story in the Bible and the Old Testament that just parallels this theme of submission so beautifully. And it has a lot of correlations to Jesus and at that point in Gethsemane all the way to the cross. And so we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 22. And we find the story of Abraham being tested by God. And so just to give you the context, we should probably all know this story, but Abraham at 75 years old had been told by God, you're going to have a son in your old age. He was going to have a son because the son was what he wanted more than anything. A son meant he has a lineage, he has a legacy, he has generations to come. And that was pretty much the be all and end all. The more family you had in the land, the more powerful you became. And so Abraham was asking God for a son and he said, I'm, I'm 75 years old, I can't do it myself. And God said, I will give you a son, okay? 25 years later is when the promise came. Just bear that in mind, that 25 years he waited for the promise to be fulfilled. I know I can't wait six months. Um, but then, what I didn't know actually, Isaac was actually closer to 30 years old when this story takes place. Most, nearly all scholars agree that he was 25 to 30 years old. But this is where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to read it. So it says from verse 1, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he split wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the boy. No, say, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and return to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. 
And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out with his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not reach out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught up, caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they got up and went to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. So there's a few things in the story that I want to break down and go through. Because what was Isaac to Abraham? Isaac was everything, essentially. Isaac was, well, this own idol in Abraham. In, in Isaac, Abraham saw his, his future, his generations to come. He knew that Isaac represented to him God's fulfillment of a promise. And now we see Abraham being asked by God, it's time to give that back. And let's compare to the, the garden in Gethsemane. Let's see some of the correlations here. Jesus is having to lay down his life and he's in anguish. Remember his state of being, number one. His flesh was manifesting, right? He was speaking up. I would imagine that in this moment when Abraham gets asked by God, give back the thing you love the most, I'm probably pretty certain that his flesh was rising up inside of him and he starts going, whoa, 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 wait. But God, wait. This is the promise that you gave to me. How could you ask for this back? Are you teasing me? Are you enjoying my suffering right now? Are you, is this a joke that you're playing? And he's probably, his flesh is probably speaking up inside of him, offering him every reason why not. And look at the clue we see in verse three. It says, Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. I don't reckon there was a very long conversation between him and his wife about what was about to take place. I'm probably thinking that he's going... If I delay any longer, I'm probably going to disobey. I'm probably going to justify every reason why not to go through with this. If I speak to Sarah, she's going to definitely tell me off and she's going to say no. And so he gets up early in the morning and he settles the donkey and he takes off with his servants. Because he's thinking, the more I dwell on this, the more I think about it in the flesh, the more I'm going to be turned off doing it. And get this though, it says in verse 4, on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes. So three days, God left him with this little instruction to kill his son. Three days, Abraham had to wrestle with God, essentially, in his spirit, going, but I don't want to do this. How can you ask me to do this? That would be three long days and two long nights 
where he had every opportunity to turn back around. And I believe that this was probably the real test that was going on inside of Abraham because he had three days to consider another option. He had three days to, to consider, maybe I don't have to submit. Maybe if I do, then you know I'll still keep Isaac and God can just forgive me later. But somewhere in that three-day journey, I believe that Abraham got to the point where he had the revelation that his submission was worship to God. Because it says in verse 5, stay here with the donkey when he saw the place that God was calling him to. Stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and return to you. So somewhere on that journey, Abraham gets a revelation that if I yield and submit right now and give up my son Isaac, this is an act of worship to God. And in that moment, he killed his flesh. And I believe Isaac was dead long before he ever got to that altar. I believe Isaac died in this moment where he submitted and yielded to the Father's will. Because look again, let's compare to Gethsemane. Suddenly Abraham becomes this resolute, determined man to carry through the instruction. It says, Isaac starts questioning him. In verse seven, he says, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. They came to the place and he starts building this altar. He even binds his own son. You can't do this without having this determination in your spirit. And with that, in silence, he binds him, he lays him on the altar and he takes that knife where he is about to kill Isaac. But that could have only happened if he had already dealt with the submission on that journey to the altar where he realized if I kill him, I am worshiping God and that is more important to me, giving God the glory in my worship than holding on to something. And then just as he's about to reach out and kill his son, God intervenes and he says, Abraham, Abraham, do not reach out your hand against the boy and do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Remember, what is fear? What is reverence? Hebrews 5 verse 7. Jesus was heard because of his reverent submission, because of his fear of God. And now in this moment, in laying down the thing, the biggest thing that was in his heart, God sees, now I know that you fear me. Now that I know that you are a man submitted to me. Now I know that you will give me the glory in everything at the cost of what matters to you the most. Even though you don't know it, even though you don't comprehend why I'm asking you to do this, you are laying down your own flesh and you are lifting me up. And now I know that you fear me. And what does he say? What, what comes on the other side of a submission? Verse 16 by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, because you have submitted and yielded, indeed, I will greatly bless you. I will greatly multiply your seed and all the nations of the earth through you shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Obedience is submission and submission is worship to the Father. Do you know that God will give a dream? He will give a desire. He will give a promise even only to destroy it because then he restores it so that all the glory belongs to him and him alone. He will give you a dream. He will give you a promise even. Isaac was a promise. And what did he do? He took it away. 
He destroyed that promise for the result of him getting all the glory. And in his glory, he gave back all the glory to Abraham and he said, because you have done, you've glorified me. Now I get to glorify you. As a co-heir with Christ, I'm gonna give you all the blessing that was already coming your way. And this is the beauty of submission. This is the prayer that is heard by God. When we say, yet not my will, but yours be done, God gets all the glory every time and then he gives it back to us. You may see it in this life. You may not. You may see it in the life to come. But God will never, ever take something from you. He will never destroy something to watch you suffer. He will never hold something back in laughing and mocking at you. He will never do something to make you feel anything less than loved. But for some of us here today, on the other side of our submission, on the other side of our yielding that thing that is in our heart. And it's not hard to think about what that thing is. We all have that something. For some of you, it could be a healing that you haven't seen yet. For some of you, you're thinking, I'm, I'm going, getting on in age and I haven't got a, a husband or a wife, God. And that thing has become the, the be all and end all for you. For some of you, it's a family member you haven't seen saved yet. But on the other side of your yielding and your submission, God is waiting to bring the glory that he deserves. And he's wanting to give it back into your situation. He's wanting to give it back into the promises that he's spoken over you. And I had to learn this and deal with this with God a few years ago, actually. For me, the, the idol that I had to tear down was actually my wife, Beck before we ever got married, <laughs> before we even started dating, actually. Um, for, for those of us who, who know our story, it was a little bit rocky, you know? It was about 24 months of up and down, up and down. But from the very beginning, I had always said to God, God, I want to honour you in this. And if she is not the one for me, I'd had an inkling that she was going to be my wife. I was right. But... <laughs> But I said to God, if she's not the one for me, then I want to give her up already. I want to lay it down. I want you to take it from me. And at that point, it was easy because we hadn't even started the journey yet. It really didn't cost. It would have, but it didn't cost everything for me. But along those 24 months, I started to get more and more, I don't know, obsessed? <laughs> that makes me sound weird, but, you know... Come on, you've all been there. <laughs> but Beck had become this thing to me that I realized I can't live without. And I, I remember the word saying to God, I don't think I can live without this woman in my life. And it got to the point where I had placed Beck as an idol above God and God was saying, she's taken my rightful place. You're giving more of your attention, your time, your energy to her. You're investing everything into her. And my spiritual life was failing, my, my physical and mental well-being was all just on the back burner because everything was consumed by Beck. And it wasn't until the moment that I realized that she had become this idol that I went, my fist is so tightly clenched around her and this idea of her as my wife, as being in my life. When I realized that that was taking the place of God, he led me to the point of submission and yielding, and it was painful. 
It was this agonizing decision in me to actually open my clenched fist and let her go and go and say to God, God, even if I can't see her in my life, even if she's not in my life, even if everything I've been through is for nothing, even though I trusted you and thought this was your, your ways and your purposes, at that moment of letting go, I promise you that that was the catalyst for God to start working in both our lives and lead us to the point where we got married. And that was a long, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a journey, but it was, I can literally identify the moment. I was on a plane back from Sydney where God was teaching me, me this Tozer, if you've read The Pursuit of God. Um, and I got home that night and I realized I have to let this go. And from there on, the wheels started getting put into motion where God was able to say, now that you've given me the glory, now that you have ripped down that idol, that idol of pride, that idol of self, of you being your own controlling God, now that you have put me back, let me come into this situation and I'm going to resurrect everything that I had promised you in those two years. So I want you to think today. What is it in your heart that God is speaking to you about? You all know that there's something. Maybe you've already learned this lesson. I'm sure there's so many of you that have actually gone through this. And like I said, this isn't something we just learn once. But once you learn it, it becomes a lot easier the next times. But maybe for you, some of you, there is this thing in your life that you have been going and you can admit God, I have become so much more invested in this, this idol in my heart, this Isaac. Remember, Jesus laid down his entire life. That was the greatest act of submission, but he didn't want to. His flesh was calling out to God saying, take this cup from me. I don't want to go through with this. It was painful and it hurt to lay down that thing in his life. But on the other side of that submission is something so beautiful. There is so much healing. There is so much victory on the other side. As soon as you kill the flesh, remember Jesus said to the disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But as soon as you kill the flesh, that only leaves room for the spirit. And that's what God comes in and strengthens and gives you the ability to see through that, that killing of the flesh, that journey to the altar where Abraham killed Isaac. The strength came in on the other side of his submission. And just know that when you submit, when you yield that, you are elevating God, you are lifting Him up. You are saying, you are sovereign God. I do not understand your ways, but I know you are good. And I'm gonna give you all the glory and I'm gonna give you all the worship. I'm gonna lift up your name above everything I feel in this life. And even if I don't see it in this life, I know that one day in heaven, we are all going to be applauding those people that get their glory. If your, if your healing hasn't come on this earth, just know your reward in heaven is so much greater than what you could get on earth. Even if you have to lay down your life. We saw from Matt's message last week that Jesus stood in honour of Stephen as he laid down his life. And when you get to heaven, these things that you have submitted and killed, Jesus is going to be clapping you and all of heaven is going to see. The last shall be made first as you take your turn coming towards Jesus and receiving that crown. We are all going to see the glory. Colossians 3 verse 4, I think it is, 
says that when Jesus is revealed in in glory, when He returns and is revealed in glory, we also are revealed in His glory. There will come a time when Jesus comes down and the righteous will be lifted up and glorified along with Him. And this is the beauty of submission. If we learn this, if we learn to yield our hearts and our flesh in this way, He is waiting to give you back the glory. So maybe we could all just stand and come with a surrendered and submitted heart before God. I don't know what it is. It's only between you and Holy Spirit that know what it is that you might need to lay down. If you don't need to lay anything down right now, then just pray for those that need to go on this journey with the Father. Holy Spirit, I pray. I pray of your people today, Lord, that you would bring strength in this moment of submission, in this moment of yielding, that you would bring your strength and your love to lift us up. Bring your conviction, Holy Spirit, that as we lay down, as we yield and get on our knees before your cross, as we kill that flesh daily and pick up our cross daily, that submission is taking place and we are giving all glory to you, Father. And I pray, Father, that you would release your glory over your people today. Just take a moment, pray with Holy Spirit, have a conversation about what it is that you need to lay down. And... You know, we don't always do it, but this space is open down the front. Maybe you need to physically come down on your knees and get before the Father and say, I've been holding on to this for too long. Maybe you have bitterness or resentment towards the Father and you've been going, I haven't seen what you promised me or I felt like you took that away from me. Let me tell you, He does not tease us. He does not hide Himself from us just to make us suffer. Maybe if we could sing glory, glorify. Glorify your name. Your submission glorifies the Father. And glorify your name. Come on, yield to Him. And glorify your name in all the your submission be reverent worship now.
just let him have your reverent silence. Just have this moment between you and the Father. We still bring you all the glory. about you. 
before the Lord this morning and um, there were people who, who are more than happy who will pray with you and for you. Um, if you'd like to connect with 
Empower. There is a QR code that's up there, so you can um, take a photo of that and uh, you can connect with us and that'll just help you to know what is happening in the life of Empower. Also, if you'd like to give, there is another QR code that's up behind me. Um, you can use that to give electronically. You can also give in cash. There is a, a table at the back there if you would like to, to give. Now, volunteers, we would love for you to volunteer to help. A drink? Oh, a little bit closer. What do I mean? Can everyone can hear me? I'm not sure that's a good thing. Um, so if you would like to volunteer, there is another... QR code up there. It should be the biggest QR code. But um, if you would like to volunteer, we would love for you to help out in, in whichever way. So if you have the capacity to do, you know, every week, that's fantastic. Every fortnight, that's great. Every month, again, that's great. Whatever it might be, if you are able to help, please sign up and um, yeah, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Um, men's retreat is also coming up. Where's Matt T? Um, if you would like to know more about men's retreat that Pastor Matt, this one, Matt behind me, spoke a little bit about earlier, and you would like more information, Matt T is the man to see. Um, oh, that rhymes. How good is that? Matt T is the man to see. Um, so, yeah, so please, it's going to be a great time of fellowship. It's going to be a great time of walking and talking and praise. All right, no, I'm not going to sing. Um, yeah, I'm getting there. Uh, so that is that. So please don't miss out on it. Now, next Sunday, we are not going to be here. Are you speaking to this? Or am I speaking to it? I don't mind. Oh, go for it. You want me to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, pay attention because Pastor Matt's coming up. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You're hilarious. Um, next week, uh, Ehab is right. I don't know why I'm up here. He could have done this quite easily. Look at him. Anyway, um, one Sunday a month, we call it Community Sunday. And the idea is, is that it's church outside of the building. And so we're really excited next Sunday to, um, we're going to be doing a thing called House Fires, which is pretty much church at home. And so today, there's going to be a whole lot of people. There's going to be a handful of people um, waiting up the back there as well. Um, we want to make sure that everyone, everyone here gets an invitation, which you should do. But if you don't get it today, you'll get a call. Um, but if you want to go out of your way, if you haven't received an invitation somewhere as of yet, um, please just mention that to some of our team at the back or um, yeah, anyone at the inf information hub or myself or Ehab. Um, and uh, we'll make sure that you get a, a invite. Part of our, um, maybe one of the reasons why you don't have an invitation yet is because you're not on our database or we've noticed that... Um, some, if you're married, you're, you are, but your wife may, need, may not be so. Um, but that's all good. So next Sunday, don't come here. We're going to be in homes spread out all across this area. It's actually going to be a really powerful time of worship, of uh, time with family. And so I want to really encourage you to uh, make the most of that. Uh, it's not a Sunday off. It's a, a really important Sunday. And I believe God's going to continue to move so powerfully, which is good.